that's what we focus on. But we work together, as I said, within the house yeah. legal teams. And if you just have that legal focus, then it's just going to continue that maybe you won't have buy-in, you won't have the team you need. You, you, you may be perceived as the necessary evil rather than being mm-hmm. a partner. And I, and I think that's, and that, that's the yeah. interesting challenge. And that's where I find, you know, that's what motivates me is about building passion in the organization, not just in the legal team, but across, in the, in, you know, it, whether it's a digital marketing team, whether it's in finance, HR or, or wherever, to see people actually change a perception. Welcome to Sustainable Compliance, a podcast on everything privacy and information security compliance, brought to you by Wired Relations. Tim Clemens, welcome to uh, Sustainable Compliance. You're the owner of Purpose and Means, a data protection consultancy that is also certified to teach uh, the IAPP training courses. And I have invited you, well, for several reasons, but one of the reasons is that I've been following a series of LinkedIn posts that you've been doing um, called Top 3 Data Protection Program Issues and how to start resolving them. And you've gone through now 22 different data protection program issues and sort of pointing to the three top problems with each of them. So being prepared for audits, templates, being a loan army, all of the problems and and, and issues that we all deal with. So, but I was wondering if you look at all of this from, from above, if you should point to three things that recur or are sort of prevalent in many of these issues, what would what would that be? Yeah. I mean, firstly, you, you've seen 22 of them, Jacob. I'm not finished yet. I mean, I've got quite a few more up my sleeve. Um, but I think generally, if you were to kind of pinpoint and, you know, some of the, you know, because what, what I cover is sometimes the symptoms of deeper problems. And I think some of the deeper problems stems from, for example, the fact that in many companies, data protection is perceived as a, a pure legal issue. And of course, that's mm. that's extremely important. I'm not denying it. And of course, the goal of any organization is uh, is to be compliant with applicable laws and regulations. But my take on it is, yes, that's important, but we re- really also need to be focused on, on the people aspect. And we need to pay as much mm-hmm. attention, if not more, to people when I'm talking about employees, I'm talking about top management. I'm talking about the people we really do depend upon to to make data protection come to life, make it living and breathing in organizations. So so that's one area. It's about changing changing the perception. Mm-hmm. The second area is, is it's and it's coupled, I mean it's this is all linked together, I think, is that data protection mm. is a team sport. And we need to bring yeah. a multitude of competencies to the table, not all at the same time, but we need to know when to bring in the different competencies. I equate it, it's like football, you know, and if you have like a team of lawyers playing football, it's like having a team, a team of goalkeepers on the field. You may be able to defend the goal, but in terms of 
attacking and succeeding and, you know, achieving business objectives, you may struggle. So it's positional and we need to identify all the different positions, what skills are required. So I think the team sport aspect is also important. And the other part, again, I think it all hangs together. And that is about you know making it easy for people to work with the concepts that we're putting in place. So making it easy for employees to live up to the sometimes abstract legal requirements or the abstract statements that you might, may find in policies, making it easy for, for management to understand why this is important, but also making it easy for them in whatever decision-making they need to be involved in. Of course, I can make and break a data protection program. And of course, making it easy mm. for the people whose data is being processed about themselves, you know, the, the data subjects, the individuals. So making it easy for them to exercise their rights, making it easy for them to understand what's in, in you know, involved. And here, and I think it goes back to the, perhaps the first point that we currently have a lot of kind of legal-based solutions addressing legal requirements. And again, it's about bringing, bring, make, you know, making it an experience and focusing on that experience mm. for data subjects, making a very focused experience for employees, for management. So, and that's what, you know, purpose and means we, we try to focus on is that overall experience for the multitude of stakeholders. So I think we, we try to do things slightly differently to the yeah. big consultancies, certainly very different to, to a law firm. I mean, what we, t we tend to do is when, we, when we're consulting with clients is we work together with the in-house legal team. I mean, it's an in-house legal team that tends to bring us in or you know, request our services. And we act as a bridge between the in-house legal department and the rest of the organization and bring in uh, yeah. more kind of business consulting, communications, and so on. What would be an example of going from a legal solution to a people experience solution? Can you give a con concrete example? Um, of that? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's, there's, there's several, I mean, we have these kind of legacy mechanisms, if you like, and probably the privacy notice that we often see on the, on the website or in an app is, is a good example in the yeah. sense that, you know, it tends to be a very uh, lengthy document written often in very strong legal language or technical jargon but we need to remember yeah. it's it's focused on the target audience are individuals whose data is to be processed by the organization so that's it's kind of yeah. I, th I think there's a lot of clunkiness currently in data protection in the sense that we have these very yeah. clunky solutions cookie banners is, a, is another example the consent mechanisms yeah it doesn't enhance the overall experience for uh, for users and i would say it also you know doesn't help employees understand what they need to do either so i think it requires yeah. some other skills and i mean what i see in in certainly in many of the the larger companies and certainly in the big tech companies is the emergence of privacy engineering uh, we know, you know, it's mm. coming, a, a lot is coming out from the US at the moment, a lot coming out from NIST. I, I have a few privacy engineers in my network. And from my perspective, it's quite a creative role. It's about understanding mm. how you can take a, an abstract legal requirement, but then, you know, bring it to life, make it, you know, implement it in a way that not just fulfills the legal requirement, but, but makes it meaningful. Yeah 
to the person who is going to be interacting with with that, you know, be it a, a privacy notice or a consent mechanism. Tim, I'd like to dive into the skills in a moment. I just want to dig a little bit deeper into the issues <laughs> because I think you're very spot on on the privacy notices and the and the cookie banners, which are often more cover my arse, as we called it in uh, when I when I was studying law documents than than actually communicating to people. So I think that's a good, those are good examples. Um, I was actually thinking about how I would answer this question myself. What are the top issues? And I, I came up with mindset, which is basically where data protection is not a legal exercise and collaboration. We need to be able to collaborate more. So I think you, you and I are pretty much on the same page yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and, and I think generally, Jacob, it, it means that there's so much room for improvement. There's so much opportunities to improve. So, you know, data yeah. protection is a challenging profession, I think, to work within, not least because of the constant change from, from a legal perspective and the constant change from a technological yeah. perspective. But I see it as a huge kind of canvas for data protection professionals to, to come with improvements, to make it easier for employees, yeah. to make it easier for management, make it easier overall the experience for data subjects as well yeah and with with those issues if we turn to skills both soft and hard skills which which skills would data protection professionals need to have to be able to make this more people like yeah so i think a lot of it is around communication a lot of it is around mm -hmm. just general business consulting, if you want to use that, that type of phrase, you know, how to get people to buy in. Well, firstly, you know, having having a, a, an overall vision or, you know, changing the perception of, of data protection from this legal issue to a more business friendly notion that's going to get people to buy into it. And there's ways, you know, there's ways to do it. And a lot yeah. of it is actually, I think, you know, using some creativity as well. So a lot mm -hmm. of it is, is, getting people on board. A lot of it is then recognizing yeah. that we're all different in organizations and that we need to meet the employees where they are rather than expecting them to come and buy into, you know, data protection and all the kind of fancy terms that go, go along with that. And interestingly, I mm. find, you know, I've benefited a lot from looking at how, how, for example, do you get attention? How do you get people interested in what you're doing? And, you know, yeah. I, I look to other sectors. So, you know, to get attention, to put across ideas, to influence people. A few years ago, I, I looked at how the advertising sector works because that's all about getting our mm -hmm. attention and persuading us to, you know, part with our money for something. So I looked at some of the techniques that the big advertising agencies used, which is mainly from, from the UK. And I've kind of applied those into, into data protection and, uh, you know, how we can put our uh, data protection program, all the different methods that we do, how we mm. can be different because we could just like in, you know, out on the, on the streets or in front of our screens, all the companies are competing for our attention. And it's no different in the company, mm. all the different departments, all the different colleagues, they're all competing for the attention of employees. So somehow we've got to be different yeah. and become unavoidable, make our messaging, you know, unmissable, if you like. And there's various techniques yeah. that we can use to do that, you know, and basically, you know, I've 
poached a lot of these ideas from that advertising sector and i find i find they work and it interesting it makes yeah. it, it it makes it fun instead of this kind of jaded corporate approach that every presentation mm. looks the same every message looks the same every you know meeting runs the same so we, there is opportunities to to kind of disrupt that a little bit and i i'd like to pinpoint that piece of advice is what I hear say is that we should, we should also learn from other sectors, others who do well and, and, and on getting attention and, and making our messages fun. That might be the advertising industry. I was, I was thinking one of the, one of the skills that I think you also sort of touched upon it, but, but one that I would say is, is important is, is people skills, being able to build rapport with all of those different people that we need to work with. Way back, <laughs> I've been uh, coaching people. And one of the things that a, that a coach is sort of responsible for is building rapport. And I, I and, and that's also a trainable, that's also a trainable skill that we could take from another industry that, that you can actually, there's actually ways to build rapport and create that working bond with with people um that's also something we can learn from 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 somewhere else i just wanted to point to the learning from from others especially in a new industry yeah. like ours oh, I, t I totally agree and also you know we need to be aware in, in you know the majority of companies people are busy mm. and we've got to recognize that they don't have a great deal of time to devote to you know they've got their focus on on their on their day jobs so the the easier, and I've mentioned this a few times now about making it easy, and that so, you know, it's not it's not doing their job for them, but if you want somebody to understand mm. some abstract legal concepts, then if you can help them yeah. by making it easy to understand by simplification techniques, for example, that's another area that I've got a little focus on from years ago, is you know how to simplify yeah. complex topics through could be highly visual uh, illustrations, diagrams. Just by explaining it also makes it, you know, will we'll simplify. So it takes yeah. time. And, and, Karen. and that, Tim, I just, just to, because now both of us have been saying that the legal issues might not be the way to go, but don't you think that when you have to explain something easily, you also need to really have a deep understanding Absolutely. of it? Absolutely. Yeah. You need, and, and that so, takes so, time. For, as well. And I think, you know, as, as I've seen in your other podcasts, just mm. staying on top of what's happening, understanding the developments. Yeah. And I think, you know, in, mm. the, in the work that we also do in, as a training company, we, we obviously need to understand what we're putting across. That That's obviously important. Yeah. But before you can simplify anything, you've got to understand it yourself. And it does take time, yeah. but I think it pays dividends. And I, you know, this is something we do with clients is, you know, we'll come up with an explainer or one pager or make a very short uh, video mm. clip about a topic that otherwise may have been explained, you know, in 25 slides of bullet points, which most people haven't got the time uh, to read through or, you know, it's all about making, I think, as I said, making it easy for employees. Yeah. Yeah. And um, how do you train for these things in, in, uh, in practice? Um, 
so with, with you know if we're talking about training employees i mean this is something we so you mentioned the ipp training i mean that's on a more generic level but what we do for clients is we also come up with some very focused contextual training so we understand how people are working in their context so whether it's somebody in an hr department or in an it department or the ui ux team whatever whatever their role is we understand what data protection should be for the, for those individuals and ideally if we can yeah. we, this doesn't always happen is we'll try to empower those employees to work with us to understand what data protection risks there are in their area so they get knowledge doing this but then we also give them enough education that they can also begin to identify what they need to do and if we can we'll get them to create their own materials to then own it and i think you know the empowerment will build trust with the employees and once people create things themselves, they tend to take ownership. Once you start to impose material on mm. people, then that, I think, you know, people can sometimes reject it. Working with things and explaining things yourself is, is a good training technique. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. We probably all need to have the sort of legal basis and the and the technical basis how do you best how do you best train for for those skills because you, you do that quite a lot yeah. as well so i mean i also work so purpose and means i mean it's not it's, it's not a big enterprise as you know but i i, I you know uh -huh. I, work, i collaborate with two or three trusted and what I consider experienced data protection professionals around around Europe, people I, I know and work with. And I think trust is, in, is important. They tend to have that more legal background compared to me. So I bring them in when, when required. And, you know, in terms of if it's very specific legal training, then I find I would, it's better that I, mm. I would use somebody who's got a legal background, you know, so a lawyer yeah. is training other other lawyers but if we're talking about more mm -hmm. operational type of training or on a, on a more technical level then i think that's where i can bring the experience i have around you know how to operationalize uh, on a on a more practical level so i think pragmatism is yeah. is important here rather than the theory of talking about what a company would need to do according to a specific legal requirement if you're not able to explain how this works in practice and come with you know a number of examples or war stories let's call them good and bad then i i think yeah. i think you'll struggle yeah and i i think that's even has a has a term um i once uh, came across um some some research on learning by teaching so basically that you that you learn if you if you get a chance to explain yourself how to do things i, I think that's a good way of of, uh, of of learning actually um are you most this is something i've been sort of thinking about over the the, the past years where we've done a lot of online stuff <laughs> do you think we do, do we learn better online or offline or is is the blend a, a great thing what do you think about that i think you, you can't you can't beat being in the same room with somebody and you know and picking up off you know some of the invisible aspects the you know the emotions that may not come across over a connection as we're doing today so That to me is preferred, yeah. but I think as as we found during the pandemic, you know, using the right tools mm. 
it's entirely possible to run a workshop with a huge number of people. And this is, you know, again, this is something that's changed in the way we work is, I mean, what I've noticed, as you know, I'm based in, in Copenhagen and I, prior to the yeah. pandemic, most of my clients were in Denmark after the or during the pandemic. And now I would say 90% of my clients are outside of Denmark. And that yeah. is a, as a result of having the right tools, adapting the physical workshop materials that I previously worked with, but now bringing them into, you know, digital canvases and people are used to it. And I, yeah, I mean, it, it obviously it cuts down on the travel expenses, but you can't, you know, I do miss that, yeah. that in-person interaction. It's also a balance between uh, physical closeness and getting the best teacher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if, if the best teacher is in Copenhagen and I'm in France, online might be better than, than finding the second or third best teacher in my uh, vicinity. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's what it's done for our, for our online training is, I mean, we have people from all over the world is great because then you've mm. got the different perspectives not just on a cultural level but also on on a privacy level in terms of local legislation but what i found Absolutely. is the larger the class online the fewer questions and the you know the more webcams switch compared to yeah. if you're standing <laughs> i mean i i've been going for the last few years in, in in brussels you know and there could be around 50 people in the room there it is a completely different experience and a lot a lot of you know passion a lot of voices it's a lot noisier of course and a lot more questions yeah 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 right now i talk to a lot of very qualified people when i when i came out of of, of law school i had zero experience with data protection laws because well they told us to skip that one chapter in the book, but that's not the case anymore. So I, I talk to very legally and technically qualified people, but what I get from them is that they know the law and they're tech savvy. They just can't put it into practice. How do we work with that? Yeah. So I, I think that's the advantage that certainly purpose and means brings. And, that, and I think I've been working for, for quite a few decades now in large typically large global companies with a, a, a GRC governance, risk and compliance and a project program management background. So I suppose I have those tools, but I think if I was actually, if I were to pick one course that I did, and this is probably around what, 25 years ago now, and that was a business analysis mm -hmm. course, which I did in the UK because it gave me a huge toolbox of different tools and techniques of how to slice and dice information, how to interact with stakeholders, how to analyze different situations. And I found that those tools, I can apply them in very various contexts, whether it's legislation related, you know, financial legislation or it's data protection legislation. So it's around having those right tools and techniques because it's about putting, you know, insights, knowledge and information into different categories that you can then make sense of and that's you know when we look into data protection practices a lot of it is around ensuring that you have you know the framework in place and it's not just about having some beautifully written policies i mean that's important mm -hmm. but it's about making those effective and i and i find as a, you know if i were to pinpoint one particular education it would be a business analysis so that's where i got my tools from yeah again from um outside of 
privacy. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting, Jakob. I was, I was teaching a course in Brussels in November, and and this was an IPP course. So there is a set syllabus, which, you know, of course, you can bring in your own insights. Um, but I, I think there was 70% predominantly were, were people with a legal background, and there's about 50 people in the room. And a lady asked me, she said, are you going to be covering how to make a business case? And I said, I've got material, but it's not part of the syllabus. I briefly touched upon it, but it's those kinds of issues that legal professionals face. And if you've not, you know, because they don't teach yeah. how to make a business case in, in the average law school, as I understand it, they probably don't teach how to, you know, create a change management plan or a communication plan. So it's all those more, yeah. you know, orchestration skills. And I think that's, you know, that's yeah. something that I'm actually saving up actually to create because we create our own courses is how to make a business case mm. for for a data protection program. And there's, you know, there's one thing about having a template. I mean, that's that's useful. But the key is having the skills and knowledge of what you need to do to generate the content that goes into that business case. So that's something that actually we, we, we will be uh, bringing out at some point this year, inspired by, you know, what this lady said in Brussels. Yeah. And that's so interesting. Also, because I think uh, if if we learn those skills, we'll be able to, as privacy professionals, with the data protection mindset, we'll be able to enter those processes in the in the company, challenging and qualifying business plans from from marketing and other areas of the business in terms of data yeah, protection ab absolutely i mean it can it can also be make and break for your for your program if you're not able to articulate the justification for why is needed or why additional investment is needed absolutely. or you're not able to demonstrate the return on that investment to justify why you need to maybe expand your team or invest in some other technologies to support your program then you're going to struggle and that's where i think you know you mentioned the lone yeah. data protection person they're struggling with those kinds of issues uh, on a daily basis. And that is probably the question or the frustration that I hear about the most is how do we get, how do you get buy-in? How do you get the resources necessary to actually carry out a program that we would, that we would be proud yeah. of? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something yeah. we, I mean, I'm working with a client in, in, in Denmark at the moment. And, you know, we're, we're formulating the strategy for data protection. And that, to mm. me, is an important starting point, because if you don't have a strategy, you know, which direction you're gonna, are you going to be heading in? And what we do is we always align with the business strategy. And, and you'll find in some companies the, the it's more obvious than others. So in a, in a company where, you know, let's say it's a B2C, which this is, it's a huge retailer, there is a huge business case. What, this is why they're investing in, marketing technology, building their digital platform and so on. So there's so many areas where we can identify where data protection is important. And then, you know, it's about going out, talking, mm. sitting down, having the right conversations with the stakeholders. And these are the business stakeholders, you know, whether it's a CMO or a CDO, but having the right narrative as well. And about, again, as I you know, mentioned at the beginning, changing that perception that data protection is purely a legal issue. And bring it yeah. across that it's more of a enabler. I mean, I hear that word used a lot, but I think it's more, you know, that it's a collaboration, really. And it's two sides of the same coin. Yeah. You know, you can't, on the one hand, be happy to drive growth through the processing of data about people and then ignore the 
the requirements from a data protection legal perspective. So, you know, and that, and that I think I find in some companies people are happy to do. So I know that anything with privacy or data protection, no, nothing to do with me. Um, and, and the key is we've got to <laughs> yeah. get people to take responsibility. And it's around coming with the right narratives so that, it, it, again, as I said, it's around communication and influence. Yeah. Um, so much more people than legal. I'm just trying to sum it up. Well, that's what we focus on, but we work together as with in-house yeah. legal teams. And if you just have that legal focus, then it's just going to continue that maybe you won't have buy-in, you won't have the team you need. You, you, you may be perceived as the necessary evil rather than being mm-hmm. a partner. And I, and I think that's, and that, that's the yeah. interesting challenge. And that's where I find, you know, that's what motivates me is about building passion in the organization, not just in the legal team, but across in, the, in you know, it, whether it's a digital marketing team, whether it's in finance, HR or, or wherever, to see people actually change a perception. I think that's a fantastic note to end on. Let's try to go from being a necessary evil to a partner that sparks passion. Tim, I, I suggest everyone follows you on LinkedIn and read through your posts on issues. There is so much learning there. But apart from that, and I'll link to it, how else does people get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, we we have a website, just like most companies, purposeandmeans.io. <laughs> you can get an overview of what, what our offerings are, what our services. We also have you know, online booking of training and so on. Um, but you can certainly yeah. find purpose and means there, or as you said, on LinkedIn is where we tend to, uh, you know, frequent on a daily basis. Tim, I'm, I'm so happy you, you wanted to spend half an hour with me this morning in Copenhagen. Yeah. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the uh, invitation and keep up the good work. You too. Thank you, Tim. You've been listening to Sustainable Compliance, a podcast by Wired Relations. We want to lead the discussion on data sustainability. If you want to join a conversation, go to wiredrelations.com forward slash data sustainability.